the term pay to play has so much uh, I know. bad, it has such a bad name yeah. to it. Uh, yeah. But to me, you know, I would switch it. Like, okay, let's say that you want to say this is pay to play. Let's say that that is, that is what you want to say. I would call the, the other model pay to hope. Because <laughs> the other one was pay to hope. Like you were, yep. you were still paying. You were still paying these publicists, and you were paying them a lot mm -hmm. to hope to have a possibility. Sure. So for me, I would rather have somebody tell me, you know, if I'm going to the supermarket and I want to buy oranges, I want to be able to have the person say, okay, if you give me X amount of dollars, I'll give you ten oranges, versus saying, give me. Give me this amount of oranges and we'll put you in a machine that throws oranges at you and you try to catch it, but you might you might only catch one uh, or you might catch 20. You know, like it's, yeah. it's a very different mm -hmm. uh it's a very different mindset. For me, it just had to do with with what seems fair and what in my deep core is what it is fair. Because everybody is winning versus just one person winning. I still have major artists that come to me and want to impress. And it's because it helps for SEO. It helps for the for to have uh, something to talk to your current fan base, something for your fan base to know you better. Uh, an interview, you know, an interview with a bigger publication will like draw eyes to that. And it might even gain you new fans when it comes to that. And it also helps for DSPs. So like when you're pitching to Spotify, when you're pitching to to any of this, they ask you, do you, do you have press? Do you have confirmed press? So there is still a value to it. I just don't think that the value, and, and you know, I would be the, the first person that tells you the value is not what it used to be, and the market has to change with that. That is mm -hmm. why we work the way that we do. That This mm -hmm. is why when, when that big publication told me $5,000, I said, absolutely not. There is no way I'm going to recommend that to an artist because for me, it has to make sense. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book third edition out everywhere now including the audiobook today my guest is Mikel corrente he is a music publicist he's been in the game for 10 years and he well, if you read my book um, or you were on Clubhouse uh, back in the day, and I mentioned this a little bit, just a couple of years ago, he discussed how he was thinking of changing the music PR model because it was broken and he got a lot of shit for it. Fast forward to today and he's running a very successful PR company with very satisfied artists. Uh, his his PR company is Purple Byte PR. It's purplebyte.com is the website you can check out uh, kind of 
the systems and, and success stories and, and just kind of how that this new model works there. But today we we discuss how PR has evolved over the years, how music press has evolved over the years from, you know, the days of Hype Machine in 2015, back in the day when it really moved the needle and, and was moving culture and, and moving the industry to where it's at today and the, and the evolution and the point of music PR and press and how to get press and how it's all working. And so we really pull the curtain back, lift the hood up, whatever metaphor you want of, of kind of digging inside, looking at the inner workings of music PR and press and media and how it all works. So if you want an update on where we're at as an industry in 2023 on in at least the press front and the PR front and what music PR is and how it all works and how it's working differently these days, because it has changed tremendously over the last 10 years. And uh, where are we at right now? This is definitely an episode you're going to learn a lot from. So uh, strap in. And uh, I know this this is going to upset a lot of people. And if any publicists are listening to this right now, ho, ho, uh, feel free to send me an email. And I want to hear you vent. Feel And hell, come on the show. I invite you. And give me the counter argument. Tell me why Mikel is wrong. Tell me why this model is uh, is bad for the industry, if that's what you feel. Because that's what a lot of the publicists were yelling at me on the clubhouse <laughs> discussion I led a couple years ago, or yelling at Mikel, rather. He had to defend himself against seven publicists that were, were screaming that he was upending and uh, being unethical and all of that. Whereas like now we are two years later and the industry has kind of shifted in that direction. So we get into everything. We get into the PR model and all of that. Really curious to hear your thoughts. Feel free to leave a comment on YouTube. Shoot me an email. Find me on Instagram. Leave a comment on Instagram. Shoot me a DM. All of that stuff. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram at Ari Herstand. You can find all of us that make the show happen and some clips from various episodes and, and tips and all that stuff at Ari's Take on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on the email list. That is where you're going to get the most up-to-date, relevant info. You're going to get regular emails when we release new podcast episodes, but also everything about the new music business that you want to hear about. Get on the email list, Ari'sTake.com. But pause the show right now, and if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify podcasts, that really helps. Subscribe, follow, wherever you're listening to the show, hit that follow, hit that subscribe button if you'd like to us to show up in your feed. Leave us a comment on YouTube, all the good stuff. All right, let's kick into the show. Mikel Corrente, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so this is the uh, we've we've chatted a bunch, um, you know, off the record, just kind of shooting the shit over the years. Um, but this is kind of the the first time that we've chatted on the record, very publicly since uh, the shit show of Clubhouse uh, back in 2020. When uh, <laughs> I actually I taught I told the story in the book. I don't know if you've seen the story, but I, um, you know, where. Basically, for those of you who, who didn't have the pleasure of tuning in and hearing uh, Mikel defend himself against uh, seven publicists that were frothing at the mouth with daggers in their hands, uh, absolutely trying to destroy his character um, uh, over Clubhouse. But basically, it was it was it was a pretty fascinating scene. Uh, I hosted a Clubhouse discussion about um, publicists and PR and music PR and where it's all at and all of that. And Mikel basically discussed, uh, you know, changing the model and publicists were not 
cool with it at all to say the least and and they it kind of uh challenged everything that they've ever stood for and and what they ethically thought and all of this which we're gonna get into later on i don't want to start with that i just think it's a it was a uh, a fantastic, fascinating discussion. And, and honestly, when I thought about PR, why, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you back on, because of how you were able to, or not back on, but to bring you onto the show, you know, how you were able to really stand up for what you believe in and, and really developed a thriving business since then based on, based on that model. So I want to step back and I just want to, first off, uh, get to know you a little bit uh, and let the audience get to know you a little bit. Give me a little background on who you are, where you came from, how you got into PR. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you a a quick but quick but comprehensive background. So Great. I was born in Venezuela, in Maracay, mm-hmm. um, which is a small city uh, in the outside, small, but in the outside of of uh, of, of Caracas. And what I did, right, like my parents were entrepreneurs and my grandparents were entrepreneurs. They had their own business. And since I was little, I was sort of encouraged to be a business owner. But what happened was, you know, Venezuela had a, an intense revolution, change of power, which I'm not going to get into. Um, right. Communism basically happened in my country. Sure. And I saw my parents uh, lose everything they mm-hmm. built through the years because again like it was just sort of like if you are not publicly with the government then we're gonna get you so that was sort of a wake-up call for me and and it's when i moved to the us uh because i saw it and i said like, okay i do want the life of the entrepreneur i like what i saw growing up it was stressful but it was it had a, it had freedoms it has things but then seeing my parents lose it all i'm like i cannot do this here like I need to do this in a place that feels a little bit more stable. So that's when I moved to the US. Um, in the beginning, I was doing audio engineering. So I did audio engineering for Warner Channel in South America. So I was okay. editing commercials for 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 basically all South American territory. Gotcha. And then when I moved here, I started working as assistant manager and I had that like management path, which I realized it wasn't my call because my sure. my passion since I was a kid were psychology, uh, music, and philosophy. Mm-hmm. So a way for me to connect those three things came in PR. Like it really flew really natural when I started doing it about ten years ago. It just yeah. really sort of flew, but it wasn't like you know you hear stories of people saying like, "Oh, I knew since I was a kid that this is what I wanted to do." I like, no, I knew I wanted to do something that had to do with psychology and music. Mm. I didn't know exactly what it was. So I tried many, many fields of, of the music industry and still I found the one that really flew with my personality and that really connected with who I am. Yeah, that's great. And so, okay, 10 years ago, um, I mean, why don't you paint the picture of kind of, we're talking 2013, I'm, I'm assuming is is about that time period. Um what was music PR then? Oh, so different. I mean, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, massively different, right? Like back then, you would have. I remember when I started the company. I started the company in 2015. So let's say okay. since the moment, not not when I started working for other people doing PR, but like myself, sure. independently. So when I started the company. Uh, 
I remember having like like campaigns that you would get like Hype Machine, which is not really a thing anymore. And I would get Hype millions yeah, hypem.com. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And 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 to just clarify, just for people that aren't familiar with Hype Machine or hypem.com, um, back then in 2015, uh, how that worked was if you got a bunch of blog articles to write about a single, uh, all within the same like week or time period or day or something like that, usually on like the day of the, the release day, you could theoretically trend on Hype Machine uh, homepage, like the hypem.com homepage. And uh, if you were trending, if you were like ranked, I guess, because they ranked them, you know, if you're in like the, the home first page, the top 20 or whatever, that would generate millions of streams. Uh, and you'd probably be getting hit up by everyone in the industry, right? Exactly. And this was yeah. not the big, the big publication. So a lot of the big publications did not, were not part of High Machine. These sure. were like the little, the little blogs, the blogs that, yeah, I mean, Pitchfork was on it, Fader was on it, some big ones were on it, but mm -hmm. this was the, like, like people that just had a computer in their house writing yeah. about music. And that's how, how like it would blow up. Or, you know, you would have an Island article, I remember, and get like offers by, by labels, like an indie yeah. artist that would get like nylon article immediately like the next day i remember when i started i got my first nylon and i remember the artist the next day was like oh holy shit i just got an email from a label saying that they want to sign us and this is very the, well these are the tastemakers uh in in you know 10 years ago in the 2015 or so uh the 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 bloggers and and right hype machine was was kind of a numbers game back then it was kind of like it didn't you didn't need the nylon article or the pitchfork article or something like that but if you had enough of those little bedroom bloggers that happened to be because hype machine just to clarify it's not a blog necessarily it's an blog aggregator it was like it had hundreds of blogs that were in the system and so if any one of those blogs that were theoretically all vetted by the hype machine team as like you know a blog within the system it aggregated in the system if you had gotten write-ups in any of those hype machine blogs even if they had three readers it didn't matter it would automatically populate and aggregate hype machines charts and then the more that wrote about you, then you rose up in those charts. And so, you know, yeah, similarly, okay, you have the story about an artist that you got a nylon feature on, got, you know, label offers the next day. Shit, I would hear, you know, see artists that would trend in the top 10 on Hype Machine just because they had like seven bedroom bloggers write about them. Not only were they getting hundreds of thousands of streams overnight, but yeah, managers would be contacting them, labels would be contacting them. I mean, this is like what moved the needle back in 2015. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and that continued to be so, I wanna say until 2018, 2019. Like that was still like, like it did went down a little bit, but, they, but it was still there. Okay. Uh, Cause that is, I remember, you know, like then you jumped towards Spotify and playlisting. And I remember every time I would go to New York, going to the Spotify offices, and having a blast because they had like ping pong tables. They had this amazing room where like you would like play your artists and they would like check out your artists yeah. uh, and you would get playlisted or you would get the artists. Sometimes they would have the artists come and perform in the offices. They would have this sort of like very DIY feeling to them. 
Yeah. But then, you know, Spotify grew massively in 2018, I want to say. And then everything started to change. But, you know, like the way I see it is change is inevitable, right? Like, yeah, you will, you have to go with the change. I mean, there is, I like quotes. So I, 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 I would, I would use like only like three quotes, maybe four. But one of the of the quotes, I'm not I'm not a Buddhism, but I'm not into I'm not a Buddhist. Sure. So there are certain things that I like about it. And one of the quotes that Buddhism use, it's like change is never painful, only resistance to change is painful. Uh-huh. So when you see these things, <laughs> when you see these things changing, you realize you're like, oh, change is definitely common. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. resist it. Or I could see where we're going. Yes. So you saw back uh, 2018 or so, 2019, as culture was shifting and the industry tastemakers uh, were shifting from blogs, from publications, where which was kind of moving the needle and, and we should say the streaming needle on how people were kind of discovering music. Um, to playlists. And, you know, this is the natural evolution is like people weren't really discovering music anymore from blogs. People weren't really going to Hype Machine and checking out what's trending, what are the songs that are like trending on blogs right now, or even going to their favorite blogs en masse like they were. Um, you know, there's these blogs still exist. That's let's they didn't all die, but um, there was this shift, you know, like the the reason that the conversation has moved so far from what's trending on hype machine and oh my gosh who's getting these you know articles written up about them to the oh we got on you know new music friday and all of these you know spotify official editorial playlists and that's where the conversation was for a while and then you know it naturally evolved from there now to where it's just like what's the trending you know song on tiktok what is the viral tiktok song like everything evolves and and changes of like where people are discovering music and discovering the songs and discovering artists and so okay so you saw this shift this change i guess as a publicist which just to clarify for people that don't really know and and actually let's let's just pause for a second um for for people that don't know what pr is can you just break it down what is pr specifically for music like music pr what what is pr and what does a publicist do yeah so the easiest uh, answer would be public relationships right like that is literally the definition PR, of the right. of the jobs pr yeah. public relationships it's a connection in between artists and media and media could mean many things right and like media could mean TV shows, media could mean red carpet, media could mean playlisting, it could mean TikTok, like whatever, because it's so vast that you have publicists doing uh, different things. So there is not one publicist that would cover, and maybe there is, but I don't know how good can they cover all of these avenues uh, properly. Okay, so so your connection. Yeah. That's how I would say your connection with media, artist connection with media. That's a and so then what is a what is a, a publicist's goal? What is, what does a publicist do on behalf of the artists? Yeah, the, the 
the goal is to secure media for the artist, secure okay. secure some sort of hype for the artist. Uh, so that is a job well done. Is you telling an artist, this is what I'm gonna get you. Like if it's you know somebody that works with TikTok, you say I'm gonna get you ten, 10 influencers to cover it, and they hit their marks. That is success. Uh, if it's I'm gonna get you into like a massive publication that is success. So depending on the conversation that you have with the artist, uh, but I would always ask for deliverables, right? Like, well, we will get to that later, but that is yeah. sort of like one of my things with the model of like no deliverables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's, yeah, that's helpful just to kind of lay the groundwork of what what music PR is. And, and I've worked with a bunch of publicists over the years, um, you know, from my experience, traditional publicists, music publicists, um, charge a monthly fee, uh, anywhere I've seen from a thousand to 5,000 a month. Uh, uh, many times they have like a four to six month minimum campaign. So, you know, it's a very expensive thing. And, and yeah, in, in my experience, um, you know, uh, publicists have, have, um, worked to get press primarily, you know, uh, media like yes like you said media outlets but like blogs and you know magazines that kind of stuff sometimes print mostly it's digital these days um podcasts is a big one you know when i hired a publicist a couple of years ago for my albums like yeah they secured a ton of podcasts like little interview things that you know i don't know how many people actually listen to these podcasts don't think many but uh you know yeah it's it's uh yeah it's it's kind of that like you said public relations um media getting the media so you you engage you basically are hiring a publicist for a service um uh and and most publicists traditional publicists have worked on you know you they get paid no matter what you're not paying them for uh you're not paying them for results you're paying them uh for their time and for their they'll say their connections in their work and you know all of that. So whether they get you, you know, on the cover of Rolling Stone and on Jimmy Fallon on Late Night, uh, you know, or they get you literally nothing, they get paid the same. And that's been the business of PR for as long as I've known about it, to be honest, um, at least the last 20 years or so. So um, is that how you kind of worked um, for the first few years or first many years, most of the years of your of your business as well? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely how I worked. But my motto from the very beginning, right, so every company has like mission statements. Sure. My motto from the very, very beginning was I want to be the PR company that is good towards the artist. Because that is something that I realized. Because, like, again, me being growing up with entrepreneur parents, one thing that I always got, it's like, see what is the niche that it's missing. Like, see what what are people craving? Like, mm-hmm. what is it that I'm actually missing from this system? So one yeah. thing that I realized right in the beginning, again, like, it, I cannot do that anymore. But in the beginning, when I started doing PR, my going rate was, was $300 a month. That was in the beginning when okay. people were charging, you know, like very, like way higher because I said, do I really need offices? No. I, like, why? Like, do I really, uh, do I need a research team? Yes, I do need a research team and I want to pay them well, 
but I have, you know, uh, to me, I, I consider it an advantage of being multicultural. And then like I have my team and I have my team in Venezuela, my research team, fantastic people that I've worked with for some of them it's been, have been with me for six, seven years. Mm. And they are extremely happy. Um, and I'm very happy because it's helping my country. And it's also the artists are happy because I could keep my overhead low, lower than if I were to have my research team here. I mean, yeah, I guess the cost of living in Venezuela is a lot lower than the cost of living in L.A. And so what is needed to live on in Venezuela is a lot lower than in the States, let alone L.A. So um, you're able to to support them at a, at a living wage uh, that probably, you know, makes sense and is competitive with the other jobs of Venezuela. Um, but in the States, it's a lot less than what anyone would be going for here. So that was that enables you to keep your rates low. It's like how people hire, you know, virtual assistants, uh, you know, in countries where uh, you can charge a lot less, you can pay a lot less and people come, you know, hire virtual assistants in India or Indonesia or, you know, somewhere where you can pay them way, 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 way below what a an executive assistant or uh, you know an assistant would would cost in the states um because it's just the cost of living so that that makes sense okay cool so you're charging 300 yeah, bucks to an me hour it also had a, and to me it also had a holistic view to it right because because mm-hmm. from a from a business thing it is it makes a lot of sense but for me in a holistic way because you know i i could be paying the people in venezuela half of what i'm paying them and there would be a competitive rate but for oh. me my holistic thing is i want want to create actually good jobs for the people back home because all of these people are from Maracay they're from my city like they are not like in other places so for so there is a holistic approach for me in like these are people that are my my brothers and sisters like these are people that are like my neighbors um so there is that because again I could be paid half, but I'm not doing that because I'm like, what's the point? I I want them to grow. And that's what they still with me six years later. That's great. Okay. So, so, uh, you're keeping your rates low. I'm assuming you didn't stay at $300 a month throughout this time period. Tell me, tell me this evolution, um, you know, and when you decided and realized that, uh, your rates were far below market rate for the industry. Yeah, I mean, where I, where I, uh, where I was, where I was buying my food at the cheapest supermarkets, and right. I was like, barely <laughs> you were making buy, a living. You know? Yeah, exactly. So I said, like, okay, but like, it helped for me to create a name as that, sure. and then I was able to like little by little uh, grow the company and bring more people. Because again, in the beginning, I have one person. Uh, right now, like, brought more people, try different things, like, create capital for us to try uh to to also you know be like we did brand partnerships at some point and just having that like what can we do that is different and that offers a service towards the artists that we're working with yeah. um so so yeah like it continued to increase and i think the highest we were ever a month this was when we were doing it monthly mm-hmm. was 1200 a month which okay. is still which is still like very low compared to other PR companies. Oops. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, that um, I just finished a campaign um, a couple months ago uh, for an artist that I, I manage. Um, 
And that campaign uh, was $2,000 a month with a very reputable music PR firm. And we were debating between that firm and another one that was charging $4,500 a month. There wasn't much debate. We couldn't afford $4,500 a month. They're like, it's going to be $4,500 a month for four months. We're like, yeah, unless you are guaranteeing the cover of Rolling Stone and like three late night spots, this this is not you can't do this. We're in, independent. And uh, I thought it was pretty hilarious uh, that that was their rate uh, for independence. But I guess if that's their rate, they're clearly getting it. Um, and uh, I think, you know, most of their clients, however, were of that upper echelon, you know, I don't know, necessarily all superstars, but at least the ones that could afford that, 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 you know, wouldn't bat an eye at those rates. So, um, yeah, I mean, 1200 a month is uh, still low from what I've seen. Um, but that's so when did you shift? Cause I know the model and what, you know, what I want to cover today. And, and honestly, the reason that I asked you to be on this show is because you're doing something different in the music PR space that I haven't really seen anyone else do yet. And this is what you got so much pushback from on the clubhouse discussion when we had it. So tell me like what, the new model is and, and when you and how you decided to land on it and why. Yeah, so uh, it happened because I listened to the artists, right? Like from the beginning of the company, it was always about the indie artists. So yeah. what happened when for me, which I'm used to a high level of like success rate when it comes to like the artists being like, oh, I'm, I'm really glad like this was really worth it. To yep. suddenly, like 2019, 2020, having the artists not be that satisfied with the model. Being like, mm, like, you feel that. You feel the artists thinking that they could have spent their budget better. Mm. And I listened. I, I just listened to them. It's as simple as that. Why and were they not like, satisfied? What, what, what was the feedback you were receiving? The feedback was uh, we are only getting smaller blocks that don't really translate that much. Okay. Like we were still getting some bigger blocks, but they were like very few because okay. what happened was a lot of the of the bloggers with the and a lot of the ma- publications and magazines with the rise of uh, of TikTok and Instagram and well actually Instagram TikTok wasn't that big that time, but Instagram. Uh, they started to cut budgets because less and less advertisements uh, companies were spending money in this publication. So what happened? The first thing that went was the new music. So when, and I'm somebody that loved working with the indie artists. So for me, when I hear Nylon or Fader being like, yes, we're still going to cover new music, but we're cutting that staff to one person. We're cutting the staff to, so it became this, wildly competitive area for like very few spots available. So even if the song was amazing, it was really hard to place it in these publications. Because they're most likely going to be placing artists that are famous already. So that will drive more traffic to the publication because uh, if, you know, um, you know, some unheard of Americana indie rock artist is coming out with a song and it's between them and boy genius. 
they're going to cover Boy Genius and they're going to write about that and they only have so many hours in the day. And if it's just the one person, whereas before it might have been 10 people or whatever, of course, uh, they're going to cover that uh, song and that record over the no name on, you know, indie artists that needs that would really love that that write up in that break and, and whatever. But so you were seeing that just like they just weren't covering emerging artists anymore. Exactly. They stopped and I started talking and this was and and I again, like I want to be an open book and all of sure. this. And this was when I talked to and this was one of the big things of the of the clubhouse that we had which was my involvement with Lady Gun. But very few people know the story of the Lady Gun thing. So for me, Lady Gun, for those not familiar, it's an amazing fashion and music publication. Mm -hmm. And what happened was 2019, I met with Coco, the founder, amazing, very sweet. uh, And she told me, I think Lady Gun's going to go under. Like this was right after the four to five. And I said, I don't want Lady Gun to go under. What can I do? Like, like, and we discussed and I became a business developer of Lady Gun. So for me, I was putting thousands of dollars to be sure that the writers were paid, to be sure that the publication ran, to find ways from the inside of the publication. Why is this not working? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was my goal. I was part of Lady Gun maybe for like ten months after I after that I like left, and but I still kept a great relationship with them. But the but I learned so much because I I understood that the problem was not only on the artist side, but on the journalist side because these journalists are writing for free. Most of them, like most of them, are writing just to have their name. Yeah, on it because yeah. when the when the advertising money got cut, right? Like the publication owners were like, "Okay, well, we cannot longer pay these rates. Mm. We cannot longer pay you to be like they would they would have contributors all the time." So, so that was another piece of the puzzle that sort of came together for me, and it was mm. thanks to my time with Lady Gun and understanding. But what people think, like when people talk to me about like the Lady Gun situation, they're like. Well, but you know, you have a, such an end to a publication that is so unethical. And like, you don't understand the amount of money I'm spending to understand and to help this publication not close. And actually, we are covering your artists for free. And I'm paying the writer to cover your artists, other PR companies. So just to, so just to explain um, where the where the issue lied then, and this is we're talking like 2020 or something. Uh, 2019, I guess, um, is you were helping, you were essentially on the leadership side of Lady Gun, uh, investing in Lady Gun, uh, paying, you know, writers and and all of that, but you were still running your PR business. So you're kind of playing both sides where you were getting your artists, artists that were hiring you as a publicist, you were getting your artists written up in Lady Gun. And that was, that there were some red flags being waved around that time because they're like, wait a minute, this is unethical. Like you run Lady Gun and you're a publicist, your artists are paying you for your PR services and you're getting them in Lady Gun, but you run Lady Gun. So, okay, I can see where the ethical dilemma theoretically lies there. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, but one thing is that, you know, I always let, yeah, I pitched the artist and obviously it gave me an advantage, but I always let the editors do their jobs. Like they would tell me, okay. oh, we don't like this artist. Like this artist we're not covering. Like I would always leave, leave it to the editor. Because to okay. me that part was important. But again, like, was there potentially some bias of the editor because they liked me because I was part of there? They would like show some artists. Absolutely. But that is out of my hands at that point. And like, I see it as a way like we, I don't think, and I, and again, like Coco would have to be here to talk, but I don't think that that period, Lady Gun, Lady Gun's doing well right now, but I don't think that during that period, it would have survived that part of the pandemic without me investing in it. Sure. So I, I guess I still want to understand a little bit what shifted, um, in the business model of publications that you were seeing and what you were hearing, but also seeing just from, you know, looking under the hood at Lady Gun, is it because so much traffic had fallen off uh, from the websites that whereas maybe before they were making $3,000 a month in advertising revenue, that, you know, traffic fell off by half. So then they were making $1,500 a month in, in advertising revenue. Is, is that... Just so I can understand, those numbers obviously are made up. I have no idea, no concept, and no ballpark of what a, a blog like that makes a month in advertising revenue. But like, is it because the the traffic fell off and then the ads went down, or is it because yeah, yeah? Just like explain like why what happened. Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that, for me at this point, is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, districtkid.com. It was a combination. Like, yes, the traffic fell off, but it didn't fell off that drastically compared to like 2019 or 2018. It did yeah. fell off, but not yeah. crazy. Uh, but what happened is the golden egg situation, right? Like if you're a label, you're always chasing the golden egg. So the golden egg at that moment was Instagram and, and starting to be TikTok. So it was influencers. So okay. people were, all right, if I'm going to, if I have $5,000 to spend, am I going to spend half of that in media? And like by media, I mean like blogs and publications 
or am I going to spend 10% of my money on publications and spend the rest on, on oh, the... So, so I, I got you. So it wasn't just that uh, traffic fell off and the ads, they're the inventory and, and just like they weren't getting uh, as many impressions. You're saying like uh, labels would spend a lot of money directly with these blogs and it wasn't just like the blogs were running Google ads or something like that. You're saying like Columbia Records would go to Lady Gun and be like, hey, here's $20,000. We want the homepage. We want every banner ad. We want a complete site takeover for Adele's new record or, or whatever. And and that's that was happening. And then as your, you call it the golden egg moved, from publications and and that's not really it wasn't as influential there they would take that 20 grand instead of giving it to to lady gun to do a site takeover or whatever publication they would put that into influencer marketing to influencers on instagram or tiktok um and and maybe like ads or something like that right exactly like they would still put some in the publication market but they would put way less uh because it's the right, like it's the same thing with TikTok right now. Like you see so many artists that the labels are like, you have to go viral on TikTok, you have to go viral on TikTok, and then there is there is uh, many friends of mine that they went viral because they were funny, and then the labels are like, well, you know what? Maybe lean into the funny. Maybe this is your new career now. So it's all about chasing what seems to be that golden yep. egg instead of focusing in the overall picture. Yeah. Okay. So you saw both sides of this. You saw under the hood at Lady Gun. Um, and now we're getting into 2020-ish. Uh, so, so yeah, what, what did you evolve your business model to be and, um, and, and why? Yeah. So I went through a, a, a deep work, deep thinking, um, moment, which is something that I like to do, which is just really think of all these moving parts that are going around, right? Now, you know how they say, this is a, a little sidetrack, but you know how they say that like your best ideas come in the shower. Uh, and they say that because actually it didn't come in the shower, but but the, the logic behind it is you are not distracted in the shower. You're doing something routinary. You're doing something without the technology in your hand that you're like right. always distracted. Sure. So for me, that deep work, or it, it just has to do with not distracting myself and just thinking of all these moving parts. Yeah. So I just started to, and that was when we had the clubhouse, right? Well, we had it in 2021, I think. But okay. I, I started to to put this idea together of like, Okay, you know what? Maybe there is a way here. Maybe there is a way for the artists to have what they want, which is they want coverage, but they want to be sure that they're getting covered where they want to, like in 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 places that they that they like. Mm-hmm. And for the publications, there is a way for them to keep their standards, keep keep their like high curation without having to work for free. Okay. Because that was a problem. Like, like mm. you cannot have a situation when one person is winning and two are losing, which is what was happening with PR. Like the publishers mm. were winning and then the publications were losing and the artists were losing. 
like that just cannot happen because it's not sustainable. It's just sure. not long term. It's just not going to work. So I, I found like I started to think about what are ways that it could work for everybody. Uh, and that's when I got all of that resistant because because basically I was proposing that the that you know that that the writers and the publications transparently would get uh, monetized and would get would get compensated for the work if they like the submission. Like that was yeah. the most important part. If they keep their curation and if they like their submission. So what you're proposing and suggesting is a pay to play uh, is essentially um, that the that you will pay the writer or the publication if they write about your artist um, and you won't pay them if they don't. Uh, but what you're saying is they can decide if they want to write about it or not. They have the editorial discretion. So you, you've changed this model from the publication uh, paying their writers because they just weren't paying their writers and, and they had stopped paying the writers. So they could afford to maybe cover emerging artists again because they had stopped by and large, at least some of these big ones. You proposed this new model to them saying, why don't we do this? I will pay you. I'll pay your writers. Or I'll pay you if you cover this. And so and the and what you found was artists preferred that uh, because they were frustrated and you felt you felt, frankly, that it was unethical to be taking money from artists and not delivering on the results that you were promising or, or that they were expecting, I should say. Yeah, and you know, like I, I obviously don't like the term. The term "pay to play" has so much. Uh, I know bad. It has such a bad name yeah. to it. Uh, yeah. But to me, you know, I would switch it. Like, okay, let's say that you want to say this is pay to play. Let's say that that is that is what you want to say. I would call the the other model "pay to hope" because <laughs> the other one was "pay to hope." Like you were, yeah. you were still paying. You were still paying these publishers, and you were paying them. A lot mm -hmm. to hope to have a possibility. Sure. So for me, I would rather have somebody tell me, you know, if I'm going to the supermarket and I want to buy oranges, I want to be able to have the person say, okay, if you give me X amount of dollars, I'll give you 10 oranges versus saying, give me, give me this amount of oranges and we'll put you in a machine that throws oranges at you and you try to catch it. But you might you might only catch one, uh, or you might catch twenty. You know, like it's, yeah. it's a very different uh, it's a very different mindset. For me, it just had to do with with what seems fair and what in my deep core is what it is fair because everybody is winning versus just one person winning. Sure. Um, now you know the pushback that you received then and that I've heard from from publicists um, and some journalists, uh, frankly, is, you know, uh, ethically what it, it, it um, I should say, the publication loses um, authority or trust from their readership if they know that um, that they are being paid by 
the 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 subject that they are writing about. Some might even call this that this is advertorial, or if it's not disclosed that they're being paid, that there could be some legal issues with the FCC or something like that. Um, I, I don't know the ins and outs of the laws, but I of the law. But I'm 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 curious, you know, when you're having these discussions with publications um, about this, you know. What are these discussions, I guess? Because, okay, so so you move into this model. Uh, is every publication like, yeah, let's do it. Sweet, you're going to pay me and I'll write about your your artist. Uh, was there any pushback around this from the publications themselves? Oh, there's so. There was pushback for sure. There were publications okay. that told me, uh, no, this is not something we want to do. There's publications okay. that said no and then say yes uh, because they realized that they were making end meet. Right, and there are publications yep. that 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 wanted a lot of money. I like. I'm not gonna say the name of the publication, but there was a publication that that went out of business, a uh, big publication, and they wanted uh, five thousand dollars per place per article. And I just, yeah, and I just like saw them, and I said, there is absolutely no way I am gonna recommend any of my artists to spend this much money in a publication. Because again, my thing is win, win, win. It's not yeah. about like, oh yeah, let's let's sell this thing to the artist and then I'll make a cut and then that's it. Because yeah. what's the point of that? The artist is gonna be pissed. Yeah. So let's, let's zoom out a little bit more. Um, let's fast forward to current day right now. We're, we're you know, June, 2023. Um, what is the point of music press right now? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, obviously I think that when people grab about what it used to be, when they look at that way, there is very easy. It's not the same thing, right. but to me, it is still very important. I still have major artists that come to me and want to press and it's because it helps for SEO. It helps for the for to have uh, something to talk to your current fan base, something for your fan base to know you better. Uh, an interview, you know, an interview with a bigger publication will like draw eyes to that, and it might even gain you new fans when it comes to that. And it also helps for DSPs. So like when you're pitching to Spotify, when you're pitching to to any of this, they ask you, do you, do you have press? Do you have confirmed press? So there is still a value to it. I just don't think that the value, and, and you know, I would be the, the first person that tells you the value is not what it used to be, and the market has to change with that. That is mm -hmm. why we work the way that we do. That this mm -hmm. is why when, when that big publication told me $5,000, I said, absolutely not. There is no way I'm going to recommend that to an artist. Because for me, it has to make sense which, with, the, with the market. It has to make sense with the market. It's basic mm. economics. Yep. Okay, right. Because, I mean, it is true that um, it's not what it was in 2015. It, it, it you know, um, a, an article in a big publication or getting, you know, trending on Hype Machine, which still exists, uh, doesn't move the needle. It's not going to generate hundreds of thousands of streams overnight like it used to. There, you're not really going to be getting contacted by 
people in the industry if you're getting big write-ups and publications like you used to. So it is hard for a lot of artists to kind of think about like, well, what is the point? Why would I care to get press? But then on the other hand, it's like, all right, right behind me, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, you can see these these two things here. One of these is a, is a framed um, publication, it's American Songwriter magazine that did a really nice write-up of me two years ago um, for my album. And then right next door is, is Music Connection magazine. That was actually in print that did a really nice songwriter profile on me. And I got these things, you know, framed and on, you know, mounted on wood and shit. And it's like, that felt really good. American Songwriter magazine uh, called me a world-class songwriter. Literally, that is like the quote that I, I could put on my my tombstone. Like <laughs> American Songwriter Magazine, you know, Ari Harrison is a world class songwriter. It was like that fu- felt fucking great, and you know, and they wrote a, like a really nice review of my album. Now, did it like quote unquote move the needle? I I don't not in like a concrete way of like uh uh. Yeah, I got millions of streams from it or that like labels were pounding down my door, anything like that. No, that that didn't happen at all from it. Um, Was there something concretely that I could take away from it? No. But did it feel really good and help my confidence? Absolutely. Like did it did like I need that uh, to feel like I was on the right track and doing something right and that my album wasn't for naught and that like because I wasn't getting millions of streams and hundreds of thousands of monthly listeners that I wasn't a failure. Yeah, that actually felt really good and was like really important for me emotionally. And, you know, with like my, you know, my own confidence level and all of that stuff. So like, I think there is something to be said about that, um, you know, and something that we can point to with publications, um, that, you know, really good writing and legitimate writers uh, and like legit publications, whatever you define as legit, uh, you know, uh, saying something nice (laughs) about your music, because that that is like few and far between for artists to kind of like hear that. And, And even though like, you know, hearing positive thing like I got a bunch of positive DMs and positive emails and and all of that kind of stuff and that's nice but like I think we put a lot more weight and value when it is published and especially when there's a name around it and like I think you know we're so caught up in the industry um and everyone in the industry kind of exists on this alternate plane from the general population and the general public posting about that I got written up in American Songwriter magazine, and the, this was the quote, and whatever. Like the the normies, we're talking the friends, the family, the fans outside of L.A. and Nashville and New York. We're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy! Like what? Like they think it's fucking huge and it's fam-. like they don't know what has happened in the industry, <laughs> you know. So it's like I think there's still something to be said that like for fans and and people that are not in the industry, they still put a lot of weight and value. In press, so I, I agree. There is there is a, there is still a place for press. Now, it is you know, like you said, the market value. What is that market value? I don't know. It, I I didn't. I couldn't justify spending four thousand five hundred dollars a month for four months to hope, like you put it, <laughs> uh, that we'll get something good. But like you know, so what are like. I guess what is your business model now? We still haven't really gotten to that. So like you're not charging monthly. Are you tra- so I come to you and I'm like, "All right, Purple Bite, uh, you know, I want uh billboard 
I here's a thousand bucks, get me in billboard. Like, is that how it works or how is this working? Well, no, it doesn't really work like that, right? So like, because okay. a billboard, it's not one of the publications that wants to get uh, paid okay. whatsoever. I know the editor, uh, I work with billboard. So I also pitch to other publications that do not, uh, are, that are not in this system of like getting paid. Some of them are, some of them aren't. It's like 50-50 at this point. Oh, okay. uh, so I'm still doing some of the pitching, like traditional pitching. Yeah. But uh, there are people that... But so the model, sorry, I tried for a second. So the model, what you're talking is people will come to me and said, I have a list of, I would ask them, what are your goals? I would listen to the song. I would mm -hmm. see what the artist story is. Mm -hmm. And I would say, okay, I do think that your goals are realistic. Or I would say, no, I would say your goals are not realistic. And we have a zero risk model, which is guarantee your money back. So for yep. me, being able to have no BS whatsoever, because I think that, that that is one of the problems that I had with the PR system, which was the hoping, right? There is so much BS. There is, yeah. Oh, you know what? We did pitch to we did pitch to Rolling Stone. We did pitch to Billboard. Maybe we'll hear back. Like that sort of dream that you're gonna get crushed when yep. you're like nothing happened. Yep. But you will pay another month because you're waiting to hear. You would pay another yeah. month because you're waiting for that, maybe. So for me, like, again, like I just had an artist today reach out with a song, which a song is fantastic. It's a new artist. And they said, okay, I'm only interested in Pitchfork and Rolling Stone. And I said, then I won't take the project. Yeah. Because at this point, it's not realistic. And we have a 96% success rate. So we have only had to return money 4% of the times. And it's because and you I return, tried to you actually return. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. I've never heard of a publicist ever say that they will return money. or I've never heard of a publicist ever return money to clients because they couldn't deliver on results. Uh, so so uh, that is commendable. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, but because, again, to me, it's a long-term picture. It's, the, it's what's yeah. fair. Like, I, I, am a, I am a fighter for that. Like, what is fair? What is yeah. fair in this industry? Well, it is not fair for me to take that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, tell me. Yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. And I mean, the industry is evolving because you like, you know, for this artist that I, I manage, you know, we ran um, for their album camp, uh, album release campaign. We ran, you know, uh, a traditional PR campaign um, and hired a traditional publicist at $2,000 a month. And they came back to us and were like, uh, good news um wonderland wa loves the song and wants to write about it and we're like hell yeah wonderland's huge this is amazing they're fantastic i've been following them for years follow them on instagram it's like man this is so cool hell yeah great thank you and they're like yeah they're asking for 500 dollars. and i'm like wait what like what am i paying you for i'm paying you two thousand dollars a month and now i have to pay an additional five hundred dollars for Wonderland to write about my song, even though they already said they liked it, like, shouldn't you cover that cost? <laughs> is like what I was Absolutely. thinking. I was just like, if that's what they want, like, yeah, I want Wonderland, but like, and if they're, if this is the new model, fine. Uh, but like, what am I paying you for then? Then that's what I, I was like, I just couldn't understand. I'm like, the the gall for them to come back to me and say like, it's gonna be after I'm paying you 2000 a month, 
it's going to be an additional 500 just for this one publication. I'm like, yo, you should cover that. <laughs> yeah. Like, just get you're don't absolutely even tell right. Me. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. And that's what I feel. <laughs> but I think what happened is resistance to change, right? Sort of what I told you. Yeah. There is such a resistance to change, uh, unlike holding on to that. But, but you know, one thing that I would say, which I consider a big success story, is I have a lot of my clients right now, I won't say names, but a lot of my clients are PR companies that are sub hirings. Whoa. So, so PR companies so, that cannot get uh, their clients pressed the traditional way by sending out press releases, sending out media blasts, sending out, you know, the, the copy and paste thing that they do, they will contract you to secure guaranteed placements so they look better to their clients? Yeah, but, you know, I, in the beginning, I, I was a little conflicted, but right now I see it and I'm like, you know what, these people are at least doing this with their budgets, with their PR budgets. Like, this is not, like, I don't see it as a problem. I see it towards change, towards the, the, the direction that, that it seems fair. Because if you recall that, that Clubhouse, I was, I was, I've been always very open about this. And I have encouraged other publicists to do the same. I've yeah. been the kind of person that is like, Look, the industry needs change, yeah. right? Like, like when you think about uh, Albert Einstein quote about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Right. This is what I think the industry is trapped. They are trapped to do this like massive press releases mm -hmm. and continue to do that. Don't deliver, but at least I do see some people that are saying like, you know what? I get it. I get that like the writers need to eat. I get that the editors need to eat. I get that the that the artist wants a guarantee. And yeah. again, like whether I don't know if this is accurate, but to my knowledge, the accurate is we would be the least expensive PR campaign with the most results compared to the other companies I know. Yeah. That is well, what it, my experience has been. Well and and, and I mean Depends on what you define as success, uh, because like some of these PR companies that I've engaged in the past, they've gotten me a lot of like a lot of quantity. They got me a lot of bullshit, tiny little blogs that I probably could have gotten myself from SubmitHub. Uh, they got me a lot of tiny little po uh, podcast interviews that no one listens to. They would, but they send me a press wrap up, you know, a campaign report as a spreadsheet with 45 lines of data that is like, look at all we got you super successful campaign. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. I haven't heard of any of these publications. I'm embarrassed to post any of these on my Instagram because I was like, nobody's heard of these things and their site looks like shit. Some of these sites haven't been updated and look, looks like 25 years. Like that doesn't look like success to me, but then again, that might be success clearly to those publicists or to some artists. You know, maybe maybe it's just like, you know what? We got to increase our SEO and we need we need as many publications to link our website as possible. We want our website to start ranking in Google. How you do that is you get a bunch of other uh, websites to link to you. It's like, okay, if that's your goal, then that's success, you know? Um, so I, I guess it, it does depend on what you define as success. Absolutely. And again, for me, it's about transparency. 
And that's the only thing that I'm calling for. Like, I'm not calling about like, if you don't want to change your business, that is absolutely fine. But I think there should be a a, a transparency uh, to it, right? Like if somebody comes to you and they said, I want Rolling Stone, I would hope that you have the, I'm, I'm blanking on this word, but the like actual strength of character to tell the artist it is not doable instead of like, yes, we will pitch to them. Well, and, and that was actually a test uh, that I had when I was interviewing publicists um, for this artist's campaign most recently. I put in the email, here are our target outlets that we're looking for. And I listed, you know, like 20 different target outlets. I included late night TV shows, you know, and I put that as a line item and everything like there. And my test was, if you say these all seem very realistic, uh, I w- you wouldn't get the job. I excluded you because I'm like, you failed the test. Because I knew, I, I know, and I can emotionally detach myself from, from these kinds of conversations because I'm representing the artist. I'm not the artist. When I'm the artist, I'm like, oh, my God, you think I could get late night TV? Well, well, shucks. Like, I, man, you're so right. I do deserve to be on late night TV. But I know how that all works. I know that, like, I know the bookers for late night shows. Like, I know them personally. I've had personal conversations with the music bookers for late night shows. I know what they're looking for. Talent has very little to do with it, unfortunately. That is the reality of the industry. It's just like, you know, what are your numbers? What is your fan base? Like, if you're not getting hundreds of thousands of monthly listeners or millions, you know, and you're not, like, moving culture right now, uh, you're not going to get that late night slot. So that's just like... That's just a reality. It has nothing to do with your talent. It's not It's not like, are you good or are you bad? Unfortunately, that has very little to do with it. So any publicist that was like, all right, this looks like a very realistic, reasonable list. I'm like, really? Even late night? They're like, I have connections at late night. I talk to them all the time. I'm like, cool. You're not getting this job. Thanks for your time. Peace. Bye. Because yeah, I, I know this, but like most artists don't. And I, you know, and I, yeah, a lot of publicists can like sell themselves and and they want to get the job and they're trying to stay employed and they don't know any other way to do it. So they'll say, oh, I know the talent, but I know the music bookers at at all these, you know, at at Kimmel and Fallon and, you know, all of it. I I know them. I'm like, cool. I know them too. What does that mean? Do you like you realistically cannot get my artist booked? So don't pretend like you can. And like, oh, you're you know you're gonna get us Pitchfork. You're gonna get us Rolling Stone. Okay, what are the other artists that you've gotten the success? So speaking of which, I wanna like I'm on your site right now and I'm looking at like all right, um, mm-hmm. you know you have a list uh, of in the packages section. This is like publications we have worked with and will pitch to. And but you said like not so just so I can clarify and understand. You you have Billboard here. You have Consequence of Sound. You have Ear Milk and you know Wonderland and Rolling Stone and Fader, um, and Pitchfork and Paste, Lady Gun, L.A. Weekly, L.A. Times, uh, a lot of big ones. But what you're saying is these are not uh, all like not all these publications are charging for placement necessarily these are just ones that you have relationships with so you know your packages here i'm looking at it's like all right for uh 500 bucks it's one guaranteed placement in one of these below 
um, or, you know, $1,000 is two guaranteed placements, but in the, you'll also like send, you know, a wrap up call or email. What is that? Uh, how can you guarantee that? Uh, especially if someone comes to you and he's like, we want these, you know, one of these five publications and they're not like part of your system. How do you guarantee that? Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the on communication and, and and having no BS, right? If somebody comes to me, like I told you earlier, somebody came yeah. and said, like, I want Pitchfork and Rolling Stone. Stone. Yeah. Uh, and I said, no. I said, yeah. like, I cannot do that. Uh, I, I offer alternatives. And like, this seems more realistic to where you are. But if that's not something that you want, I completely understand. And also, you know, in those packages, it's not just that. Like, we do do. Uh, we do do. <laughs> yeah. Indie pitching. So what does that we mean? do indie pitching as well. What does it, it mean? means that we do have some of those smaller we do have some of those smaller publications come through. Uh, so it's not just one review that you're gonna get, but it's usually one minimum of those like bigger ones. So so let's say how my because I changed the thing from like I changed the system from being massive pitching and like blasting to yep. be all personalized emailing right yeah so if somebody comes to me and they want the first package i might send three to five emails and usually it's pretty close to what i say like it's if i said one minimum like it's usually one but there are cases that that would be two or three that would cover it and i'm not gonna block that right like i'm not gonna say like oh no like if this publication is want to cover it i'm not gonna deny that oh so you might get you might pay 500 bucks and get three placements instead of the one or whatever but again it is it is rare it happens i have like a campaign uh, like i have a few campaigns like that a month but they are not the norm that the norms are the 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 numbers that i have there well what's the feedback i mean i i i i could see this moving in a direction getting to the point where you were a few years ago where you're going to start to get negative feedback from the artists Whereas, like, as, you know, if I pay $2,000 and it says four guaranteed placements listed below and, and I'm looking at these publications and I only got, uh, I only got, um, you know, I don't know, a book of Bust, Clash, Shown, and The Face, three, four publications that I don't really know of, I'd be disappointed. If you're, if like you know, like I, I'm like, oh, because I also see on this list, you know, the ones that I said before that I'm like, that's what I want. So like, how do you make sure that when artists come in, they're not going to be disappointed like that? Talking in the very beginning, it's as simple okay. as that. It's just okay. telling them this is what we could do, and yep. then telling us what they want. I ask which are your, I ask what are your top fifteen or top twenty. That is okay. what I ask. And they would give me that, and I would try to get that. Uh, yeah. And again, if but or I would recommend some others. I would say, like, okay, I like this. How about if we add this other five? Like they just happened to me yesterday. They sent me ten. Said, yeah. okay, I think this is do. I think it's not that like crazy. But how about if we add this other five to the to the ten, right? And they said, actually, we like those five too. Yeah, done. And like, so it's all about, and again, like I'm telling you something in all the years that I've been doing this, I haven't had the level of like satisfaction in the company that we have right now, because 
to be honest, even if we cannot place it, we return the money fully entirely. Mm-hmm. Like that is something that the artists are like, grateful. Sometimes, or you know, if we deliver fifty percent, we return fifty percent. It's as simple as that. Yep. Uh, but because I try to be no BS, or I but not try to because. I, I am no BS, but it's impossible for me to know 100% if this publication would pick it or not. So that's sure. what I said. Try to. Uh, it's it's 95% success rate. Sorry, 96. 96 success rate. Uh, for- yeah. Well, that's great to hear. Um, Mikael, this has been so illuminating. I really appreciate uh, you laying all this out and being so transparent and not being afraid uh, <laughs> for what, you know, the wrath of the potential publicists or other, you know, more traditional, uh, archaic uh, people in this side of the industry might feel uh, that you're open to change. And and it's nice to hear that that uh, artists are satisfied. Um, I I have uh, one final question that I ask everybody who comes on the show. What does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, For me, it's just having a good balance and peace of mind. That is making it for me. Like peace of mind is everything. Like working and having the respect of your peers, the respect of your clients, knowing that you're like feeling light about the situation. That is everything. Mikel Corrente, thank you so much. That's great. <laughs> thank you, Armando. <laughs> Today's episode was edited by Max Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.